What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Justin Editor Podcast. My name is Corey Cudney, and I am Justin Editor. But today I have with me a award-winning, that's right, South by Southwest Adobe Editing Award-winning editor of the upcoming film R Hashtag J. We got shows like Dead of Night, documentaries, and more. He's got almost every credit you can think of on his IMDb. We got writer, editor, producer, director, you name it, he's done it. Our guest today is Lam Nguyen. Hi, Corey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for for coming on and everything. It's It really fits the bill so well about this podcast is, is I always want to have guests on that do either like really crazy cool stuff or just crazy, crazy stuff. And when I got the press release for uh, our hashtag JN and I was reading it, I was like, well, I have to do this because it's like such a cool idea and everything with the with the screen life uh, format on there and everything like that. So um, I was very excited to be able to bring you on. For anybody who hasn't heard, I'm actually going to start right with uh, our hashtag J, um, the upcoming film um, that Lamb edited. Uh, for anybody who hasn't caught up with it, it is a modern day telling of the Romeo and Juliet story. Uh, but with the twist is you're pretty much inside of a phone. And so it's so cool. It's like I mentioned earlier, it's it's like a in such a good way. It's a crazy, crazy aspect where I was reading it and I was like, how are they going to do that? Um, so, Lamb, just take it from the top. I mean, how was this brought to you? What was the beginnings of it? Like, what was your initial reaction when this was pitched to you? You know, just everything like that. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was brought on um, by producer at Basilev's production, uh, Maj Nassif, um, and I'm just grateful for him to to sign me on to the company. And initially, I was just doing a lot of proof of concept trailers. Mm-hmm. They, they had a huge success with searching. I don't know if you've seen that movie yet with John Cho. Oh, I think I have heard of it. Yes. That's another like screen life one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's told entirely on, on a computer desktop. And yeah. that movie surprised everyone in a good way. And so they had uh, all these ideas of different genres with this format. And so I was doing a bunch of proof of concept trailers and um, they were liking what I did and, and some ideas that I brought to the table with the format. And uh, one day they were like, hey, Lam, we have this project that's on the top of the list of to do to get green lit. It's a Romeo and Juliet. Um, I thought, okay, classic remake, that's cool. But <laughs> it's entirely told on their iPhones. I'm like, I had to pause. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> so we're gonna go through Romeo's perspective and Juliet's perspective strictly on the iPhones. And I was like, so are we, I'll have, <laughs> I had these random basic questions. So, so are we having, both phones on screen vertical or something like yeah. that, you know? <laughs> and and that was kind of like the, the pitch. And, and I was like, I was so hesitant because I mean, everybody knows the story. And, and it's just, it's, it's a classic story that that a lot of producers and filmmakers often hesitate because you want to make sure you do it right or serve it justice, right? Mm-hmm. And and so he he just set me up with the meeting. He's like, well, let me just set you up with the meeting with Kerry Williams, the director, and, and see how, see what you think. And it's like, we just think this is this is the right one for you. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> just set up a meeting, got in a meeting with Carrie. Um, and uh, we, we, we talked for like a whole hour, um, just brainstorming the ideas of, of this format. And Carrie brought some really great ideas to it. Like he, he want, first thing was he wanted to keep this cinematic. Mm-hmm. So how do we keep the cinematic? And what searching did really well was a lot of zooms and push-ins on, on, on the screen. They were just moving around the computer screen. And so, mm-hmm. so we would do the same with the iPhone. So we're like, pretty much macro zooming in to the iPhone and <laughs> using every square inch of it to make it work. 
And I'm like, okay, maybe this can work. So we spent about a good month doing a proof of concept for it. And I would throw, at first there was like these comps, right? These iMessage comps, Instagram comps. And it's like, you're just reading. You're like, oh, this is going to get super boring. Mm -hmm. Then I start to apply basic fundamental techniques to it, uh, film techniques to it, like push-ins and dollies. And every iMessage scene, I would want it to do it, a, a variation of it differently so it doesn't feel mundane. Yeah. And the proof of concept, when we start to use the FaceTime calls and how we're going to cut in between actors, and uh, it started to work. And then we, we, we uh, presented it to the producers. They love what we did visually with it as well. And... Uh, it got green lit. So that's how it got started. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's bringing up such a good point about wanting to do Romeo and Juliet justice. It's it, like you said, such a classic tale that everybody knows and, and they have the expectations going into it. So how did y'all actually film like the actors? I assume y'all were filming it with like film cameras that you then brought into, you know, just through like the overlay over it. Yeah. So we, we filmed it on a uh, 6K cameras of Blackmagic. Oh, nice. Uh, those Blackmagic cameras. And um, uh, for this one, we, Carrie wanted to, to film it with the FaceTime calls. Both actors do it at the same time. So you get the natural reactions. Oh, nice. And uh, oftentimes in two different locations. Or sometimes in the same location, but two different areas, right? In, in the space. Yeah. And I would say that was pretty challenging because you run into a lot of technical difficulties and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. but uh, somehow we pulled it off and we filmed it that way throughout. <laughs> Towards the end, Carrie started to feel like, because I was, I was assembling cuts. I was assembling edits as we went through the, um, as we went through production. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, since we're able to cut uh, in between actors, like full screen to full screen, like a normal film, a traditional film. I don't think you need to do this simultaneous if it's if it's halting production. So he, the last couple of scenes he would film the actors just kind of talking to the camera with the other actors just kind of reading the script offline, oh. off screen. I mean, yeah, and then vice versa. And so, so yeah, that's we kind of did it both ways, and it worked turned out well in the end. Something that I was wondering pretty much the entire movie as an editor who who loves like watching things and wondering how they did it. Did you guys, was there a lot of screen recording going on? Did y'all just completely reenact, uh, like rebuild, I should say, the UI um, like through through the programs? Or what was your what was your approach to rebuilding, you know, the UI that a phone would have? Yeah, so essentially uh, what they had us do is this, I spent 10 weeks um, doing a previs before production a previs of the whole movie. I pretty much essentially <laughs> built a digital set of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I would do all the screen records on my phone. Well, I had a graphics team from Russia where they would kind of redraw everything in high res because we knew we were going to finish this film in 4K. Mm-hmm. So they would send me illustrated files of Instagram comps, iMessage comps and stuff. And I would kind of use that as templates in the previs. Mm-hmm. And if you see the previs, they had all these storyboards that I put in as well. Um, <laughs> And then in the UIs, like the you know the overlays of the of the FaceTime mm-hmm. and the Instagram Live was all built in After Effects with the Illustrator files they provided me. And then Previs, uh, once we locked that, we went to film. So the Previs helped as a as a foundation layout mm-hmm. for the cast and crew to kind of see what the movie looks like, and then they kind of envision in the head while they film. And then in, and as they edit the actual film with the video in yeah it's just a lot of screen records i mean we had a lot of changes in post um like with screen life scenes like like hey this we're missing a plot point we're missing a little hole here but that's what's nice about screen life is okay we can't do a pickup shoot but can we resolve this with the screen life scene like a text message oh, scene between yeah. julia and her dad which that was you know we didn't have time to film so because we didn't film those two um arguing with each other we created a scene with 
with a text message and made it work. Wow. It made it dramatic. And then I would treat the like the screen life as if I'm editing a traditional uh, scene where if two actors are arguing, mm-hmm. you kind of pace it up a little bit, right? The pace picks up. Yeah. So I would do the same with the text message where you you catch a word and you could you can just piece it together as it goes. And I would quick 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 edits through that to show the intensity of the scene. And mm-hmm. so all that was screen recorded. So in the picture lock version, a lot of it was very pixelated because I, I would screen record my phone and I would zoom in in the edit and do motion to it. Yeah. And then and then once we picture locked the whole thing, I worked with the graphics team and I had to commend them for the hard work because it was a lot of work to read. They, they redrew everything. All the text message bubbles oh, man. had to be redrawn because every text message Every text message is long or short. The bubble size is different. Mm-hmm. So they had to match exactly how it looked on, on the actual phone. So they redrew everything, reanimated everything. And then in the process, I would be like, hey, can you just throw this motion in there? Like push it, push it dolly to the right a little bit. And like, it was a lot of that. So it's, it's in a way, the screen life animation part to finish off. But yeah, it was all redrawn. Everything was recreated, the UIs and everything. Yeah, because that like, I was watching it and I was like, man, I do not envy their job here because it's one of those things that we've all seen this UI behave. We all know how it works. And so if it's off, even just like a little bit, the viewer is going to be like, hmm, something's up here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was a lot of QC and a lot of, yeah, it was, I would say this is definitely, was definitely my hardest project. Um, But at the same time, my my proudest project because I, I felt like, with the format and with the remake, we felt we felt like we pulled it off pretty well. Hopefully, everyone sees it that way, but it seems to be um, on the right track. Hopefully, and in the right. <laughs> so yeah. Now, did y'all have to? This is such a like silly question. Did y'all have to get like permissions from like, for example, Viacom for like the SpongeBob GIF? Because I saw that and I was like, wait, how are they throwing throwing SpongeBob in there? <laughs> yeah, that was that was tricky. Um, we used a lot of GIFs, obviously, and then mm-hmm. uh, during during the edit, we're like, man what's the right what's the copyright to all this stuff and apparently you know <laughs> the lawyers and all that they they just sift through it so so those are all pretty i guess um we call it it's like public domain in some way yeah where yeah. You, you can use it you can use it um in all the emojis the same thing so we were able to use it without any uh restrictions luckily wow yeah and i, I was gonna ask the same thing about the music because the movie works so well because like yes it's you know recreation of shakespeare so there's like a ton of dialogue in it but there's really not when you think about it that much dialogue in it and y'all do such a great job of conveying emotion and the pacing of the story and everything through the use of music like how important was the music um like these specific tracks to you um and the director and and the producers and everything um did y'all have to use like temp tracks or were these always the tracks that y'all wanted to use like how did that go yeah the it's interesting. The music, well, I would say what seventy percent of the movie was was songs mm-hmm. that Carrie Carrie really selected through those, and he picked he picked a huge great number of songs to use. And, and I think what that's what pulled me also with the with the, uh, the this project was the diversity of of the the story. You know, the diversity of the cast. Yeah. And I was like, when I read the script, I'm like, wow, this this is, is going to be a different remake. This is totally not not everyone had a version like this, mm-hmm. and especially in a modern way. So. The, the music was great to show the diversity of, of both families too, you know, and, and also the, the characters and how they feel. And so, so you're right. Uh, actually, I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot of dialogue because we used a lot of songs to convey our emotions that we needed mm-hmm. of how our actors are feeling. 
And so yeah, Carrie, it was all it was all used in the in the edit, all the songs. And then uh, luckily with Picture Lock, um, we had to change a couple songs only, but majority of it we were able to to license and use. Mm-hmm. If you notice, the first half of the movie is mostly songs, and then once it mm-hmm. gets serious and more real, it, the composer comes in. And then in the score, I used some temp tracks to try and get the right feel, right? And that's also hard because you often fall in love with it, right? And yeah. And, and so we brought it to the composer and we're like, hey, can you just replicate that or do better than that? <laughs> and our composer, um, his his name is Rene Basho. Um, I hope I pronounced it right. But he was like, oh, man, that's that's a tough task to do. And, <laughs> and uh, Rene did, did such an exceptional job. And I think he did way better than what we expected in terms of the temp tracks that we used in. So, so yeah, that's that's how that went. Well, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, it is the uh, South by Southwest Adobe Editing Award. Um, so to kind of spin off of that, what kind of drove y'all's decision to to keep it in like the Creative Cloud um, format using, you know, Premiere and After Effects? And like you mentioned earlier, Illustrator and stuff. What was the what was the kind of determining factors, I guess, to want to to cut this using Adobe? Yeah, I I think because of so much it's so graphics heavy mm-hmm. and, and um a lot of it was used was was done in After Effects because you can you can push in in a lot of files in After Effects, but keep the the text kind of like like sharp and clean. Mm-hmm. And because there was a lot of graphics movement, and Premiere links After Effects the comps from After Effects into Premiere really seamlessly. So any changes I can make in After Effects, it'll just update in the Premiere edit sequence. And same thing with the Illustrator files. So I think it's just the whole Adobe Suite, how the dynamic linking system communicates so well with each other that that we use Adobe uh, Premiere. Uh, and also, I, I'm I'm really comfortable with Premiere the last five, six years on my projects that I've done. So that was a choice. Nice. Yeah, that was I, I was wondering uh, when I saw the award and everything, I was like, oh, man, I wonder how helpful the dynamic linking system specifically is for that. Me and my boss here in Austin use that almost all the time, uh, he'll just send me an updated AE project. And it's like, okay, cool, I can just, you know, replace the old one. And it and it's super seamless. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And nice with with Adobe Premiere and After Effects, because if you like, you know, some of the screen life scenes, um, I have to move a lot of things, like five layers at once. Like if I want to do a push or a dolly, oh, everything yeah. has to move at once. And they're all separate layers. So at least with After Effects, I could uh, I call it lasso. You kind of lasso all these layers into <laughs> one one null object and use that to move everything at once. So oh, nice using it like a remote control layer type situation. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, so I noticed your last year, um, you have on your IMDb um, that you did the uh, the Dead of Night, which is also a screen life thing, correct? Yeah, um, because it's a Snapchat original, so it, uh, it was obviously told entirely through the phone as well. Mm-hmm. But this is more. Uh, I, I wouldn't say simplify. I mean, comparing the two, Roman and Juliet was obviously more challenging because we're pushed in to the scenes. But with the Dead of Night, we're we're staying vertical because you're watching the the show on your phone, mm-hmm. like if it's an actual phone of the character. So we're staying vertical all the way through. So that had its own challenges in terms of pacing as well, and and timing because um, how do you train your eye to focus on certain things while you see the whole phone? At least with Romeo and Juliet, we could just focus on a section mm-hmm. without being distracted to seeing what else is on the phone, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, Dead of Night was definitely a, a fun project, but it was also challenging in its own way as well. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. Like, was it 
coming into our hashtag J, was it like a completely different ball game or were you like, no, I got this. I've already done one screen life thing. Like I've, I'm totally there. Or was it like a whole new set of issues to deal with? Uh, no, I think I, I, you know, I was presented to work on both projects almost at the same time. So I did Romeo and Juliet first. Oh. And then towards the end of the finishing of Romeo and Juliet, uh, Dead and Night came along. They had a this crazy six-week deadline. Oh, gee. And they needed me on to work on, you know, the episodes. And I was like, okay, sure. And uh, so, yeah, <laughs> working with Romeo and Juliet helped a lot. But I think um, with that experience, because of Dead and Dead of Night was all just on a vertical screen where I didn't have to do much. I Actually, I didn't have to do any, like, camera mo technical movements or anything like that. Uh, it was yeah. just... You're just watching the phone, but mm -hmm. um, the only challenge is how to keep the edits interesting and, and, and keep going Yeah, because you're looking at one vertical screen the whole time. So, yeah. Was that kind of mind blowing for you as like, you know, movies are, are awesome and amazing and everything, but like Snapchat has such a market penetration, like, like that's just unreal. So was that crazy to see that go out into the open and you're like, oh man, this is like on everybody's Snapchat right now. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was crazy. I had some uh, friends and stuff that would text me, hey, that, that was awesome. <laughs> it's it's so different, the dead of night, because Snapchat has a, has a time limit for each episode. At least with Romeo oh. and Juliet, we, we can take our time with our scenes and yeah. and flush it out. But Snapchat's like, you only, you got four and a half minutes to tell this episode. It's like, okay. So like <laughs> the, the text messages, everything kind of speeds up a little bit more in an unnatural way. Mm -hmm. But I guess the audience accepts that and you kind of jump in time. And then you just flip through these these uh, apps as as you work through the the show. So yeah, mm. I thought that was pretty interesting that everyone got to see it on their phones, and because it, it, <laughs> it feels like you're watching it through the character's phone, which is neat. Yeah, it's like a cool like little immersion thing on there. Yeah, yeah. So how crazy is it to to go from uh you know Romeo and Juliet, Dead of Night, both screen life, and then I'm also seeing that this year you have coming out uh, a, a documentary, The Courage to Run with Chip Gaines and Gray, Gabe Grunwald. So is that like totally different, like for you as the editor, are you having to get in a total different mindset for, you know, these two very social movies versus this one, which is, I imagine, going to be a more straightforward uh, story through a documentary lens? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I worked documentary for, for five, good five, six years when I first started. So oh. to be honest, screen life is just so, so technically heavy because mm -hmm. you're not just editing the story you're also doing graphics and technical work along the way um and when i when i worked on the courage to run for me if it, it was like a like a relief like oh i can just <laughs> i can just actually review footage and just edit you know and oh, yeah. uh, but you know our documentary also has its own challenges because you have a lot of hours of footage to go through mm -hmm. you have to sift through all the footage handpick select all the best stuff and try to structure a story out of it um in post but yeah it, it was it was almost like it's like riding a bicycle when when i got when i get a chance to work on traditional film or documentary it's like okay this is what i'm used to you know and so yeah yeah <laughs> so how is how was the uh the courage to run um documentary was that uh you said you were on that project for four or five years no um it was in development for like a year and a half or two and then uh oh okay and then and, and then um because they shot a lot of the footage already of, of the race and stuff. Mm -hmm. We just needed uh, interview footage to to film. So we, we finally won the bid. You know, I, I worked with uh, Ryan Ross there, Buck Ross. Um, uh, he, he, an amazing producer as well. And, and I, I learned a lot of, through him about communications and how he struck, struck deals together. But uh, he, he brought this project to me and was like, hey, I got 
a documentary about with Chip Gaines and it's about running. I'm like, <laughs> okay, how's that? Um, that doesn't sound interesting, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but the story had, had an emotional impact to it because, you know, Chip, Chip meets a, another runner, an athlete that inspired him mm-hmm. to, to change his life in a way. And, and it made, it's a, it's a very inspiring story. So I, I did a, a proof of concept trailer for that, um, as well to help win, win the bid and, and we won it. And then they went to film the interviews and uh, I was, I was able, we were able to bring uh, Rick Ramage, which I, I could, I hope I get a chance to talk to you about later because that's how I started. Um, my career was, was through him, uh, mm-hmm. an exceptional screenwriter, um, over the years. And, uh, he was nice enough to be involved with this project and, and help structure the outline of the story with the footage that we have. And, Mm-hmm. And I want to mention another wonderful producer, uh, Shannon Umitani, who we were able to get her involved with this project as well. Um, she, she's she's one of my closest friends since film school, and oh, nice. and she she has been all, around all these years with me and stuck with me. Read read all my scripts and just worked on on the short film that we did together. Mm. And and she's been a very supportive uh, um, friend um, ever since. And and I'm so I'm just so glad we were able to work on a big project like this together. And I spent a good, uh, that project, I was working a simultaneous with Romeo and Juliet at the same time. So it was crazy. Um, but, uh, but it was, it was a nice, I was able to, it was nice to kind of breathe away from screen life and just focus on the real world, uh, traditional filmmaking a little bit. So how do you balance, like, like you said, watching, you know, hours of footage just to find selects? I mean, are you watching these in like 30 minute chunks and then taking up to, you know, getting up to go get, take a walk or, or what's your strategy for that? As soon as you said that, I'm like now interested on how, <laughs> how you tackle that problem. <laughs> I mean, I, this is, it's crazy. Um, Carrie Williams, um, the director for Roman and Juliet, cause we work together in person a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. he, he would, by the end of the day, he's like, Lam, like you've been in that seat for like eight hours straight. Like how, <laughs> like, how are you, I was like, I don't know. I'm just, I get sucked into it. So for me, uh, with the documentaries, actually with any project I do, I, I really, I'm pretty intense mm-hmm. with my focus. I'm so intense that I lock in for a good five, six hours and I'm just like so determined to, I have these goals. Like I, I got to finish this scene. I'm not going to get up until mm-hmm. I finish it. So I just get sucked <laughs> into the world of the story and go through the selects. And, and I would, you know, with the selects, I, I play, I play double speed uh, Okay. Where, where I get enough to hear what they're saying. But if I mm-hmm. feel like I see something good or hear something good then I'll, I'll go back and play regular speed and then i mark it but yeah i i just i have this crazy intensity about focus um uh i mean i guess just the passion as well as an editor and also mm-hmm. just wanting to to get a draft out to the producers and directors as soon as possible because i feel like the more time you can have to refine and edit the movie the better the project's going to turn out yeah um, for the deadline so that's that's me i'm always wanted to be ahead of schedule that is amazing that you say one specific part of that because i've always been amazed um that my boss will like watch for selects in double speed i've always been like how do you do this brad and so the fact that you bring that up that is that is amazing that's like i've watched him do it and i'm like man like i cannot I can't keep up. But that's a really good point where you're like, you can still make out what they're saying. Uh, and so you're just intently listening. And then you're like, okay, cool. I like that thing. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably why I get sucked in for like, I didn't realize I'm five hours later. Like, oh, shoot, it's lunchtime or I'm, I'm feeling hungry <laughs> um, because I have to focus so much 
to make sure I'm not missing anything as I go through the dailies. <laughs> so you mentioned um, for you mentioned both for the courage and for uh, Romeo and Juliet about uh, concepting trailers, and that's how you guys were were getting projects. So is that something? I guess I've never really thought about that. Is that is that a way that you guys at the at the studio get projects? Is you you pitch it using a concept trailer? Um, for the screen life, yes, because uh, um, a screen life is such a new language, a new format. Mm -hmm. um that you kind of want to have to prove it to them like hey this is a comedy screen life movie this is what's going to look like and this is what it's going to feel or it's a it's a drama so screen life for this company it's always doing a proof of concept to show what it will look like and to convince the execs and producers like okay i could see this as a movie then i'll green light it gotcha the documentary was more of especially for this one i think i think i offered to do it because like hey let me let me i feel like i we do have a story here with some emotion into it let me just put a spend a week and get you get you a, a pitch trailer or a sizzle trailer and, and see how that works. And then um, because we had to bid with another production company. Mm -hmm. So doing proof of concepts helps try to win a bit. But but yeah, that, that's my experience the last couple of years for these projects. But I, I'm also used to like working on narrative features that gets greenlit because of the script. Gotcha. And, and then you just kind of dive into production and you, and you go forward with it. So, yeah, it's it goes. It depends on the project, I guess. Gotcha. OK. OK. Well, all of that is is in the now. But what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the beginning of your career. And I want to know, like, what got you inspired? What got you into editing and production as a whole? Oh, man, that's got to go back way back memory lane. I mm -hmm. I would say in high school, <laughs> my, my buddies and I, we, we would always do these skits because, you know, at that time, um, Bruce Lee, his films were were, were 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 popular. Jackie Chan, the you know the kung fu movies and stuff. Yeah, like uh, that that aired here in America. So, and we were doing these skits, and like I was like, man, we should just make a little like short film about this, you know? And 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 so I, I we we would use this high eight cameras. I'm gonna remember this. I sound old <laughs> talking about these like old old cameras with big tapes, and we would film. And I'm like, okay, how the heck am I gonna edit this? Uh, edit this, and so. I went to this news and journalism department at the high school and I was like, Hey, do you have a, like an editing machine where I can just edit something? And he showed me this. <laughs> I remember walking in in this, it was just two VHS decks <laughs> and a monitor and two monitors attached to each VHS. And like, yeah, so you just, you have a blank VHS. I'm like, no, it's like, Oh, here, you could use one of the arts. I was like, this is how you do it. So it's, it was tape to tape edit. Um, if you nice. remember that it's analog <laughs> editing. So I was, pressing play and record at one end and and I keep going through it and it's pretty much hard cut throughout mm -hmm. and then so I thought that was fun and then we would make these little stupid short silly short films and um and friends and my friends loved it but it was like so cheesy but the process was fun <laughs> for me you know yeah and and I was like oh that's that's that was really fun but I never thought about filmmaking until um I got into to college because I I went to University of Denver for a business program which is what they were known for. And I was doing well in business, but I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't passionate about anything, you know? It's like, I need to find something I need to be passionate about. And I went through all these different degrees and, and courses with different areas. And I landed on this film and communication program at the University of Denver, which I didn't know they, they had a film program. <laughs> I'm like, huh. This brought me back to my high school days. I'm like, what if I tried this for real? Um, yeah, so I went to the film program and um, it, it was the second quarter and the beginners class uh, was done, but I wanted to sign up. And, and the professor, uh, her name was Sheila Schroeder. Uh, 
first, I, I really want to give her a shout out as well for giving me the chance in this moment that really helped me learn the ropes. Mm-hmm. But uh, she was like, you know, I, I'll sign you up into my advanced screenwriting class. And I was like, advanced? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I still need to learn the basics, right? Um, but so she just threw me into the, the advanced screenwriting class. And then, um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, she, she just gave me this chance. And that class was also a production class as well, where you team up with three other students on a script. Mm-hmm. And then you choose your roles. And then I, uh, somehow they selected me to be a director on the student short. But, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do direct. But, you know, as a team, you kind of direct it together anyways as a student when you work on these yeah. projects. But, um, but at that time, I remember watching Memento nice, yeah. that just kind of screened through Sundance. And I, and I remember watching that and I was like, that edit was freaking amazing because <laughs> to tell a story backwards, and I watched that movie like probably five or eight times because I was just so amazed at the attention to detail to tell a story backwards, but also moving the story forward at the same time, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I was like, that is some cool editing. And so after the student short, uh, it, it was, it was just doing classes for a while and just like learning other programs. And, um, I remember going to, uh, when we started editing that student short, they, I was ready to do analog tape to tape edits, right? Cause we were shooting mini DVs. So by, I didn't know there was a nonlinear program and they presented to me this program called media 100, which is the first nonlinear, nonlinear edit program that I've ever seen. I'm like, this is freaking oh, wow. amazing. <laughs> I can move this clip and cut this and I don't have to like record and press and play. And like, it was so fast and I, I was able to pick it up pretty quick. And then I got introduced to Final Cut Pro, the, the first versions of it. Mm-hmm. That's when I start to be very interested in editing. But I didn't think that would be an editor as my profession because I, I wanted to be in the film business. I want to take my foot somewhere in the film business still. I was still a student, you know, and God, yeah. I, I watched the movie Stigmata at the time, which was the number one movie in America. And it was an article on, on the Denver Classified. I was, I was born and raised in Denver. So mm-hmm. it was an article um, highlighting Rick Bramage, who, who's, who wrote this movie and became number one. And he was Denver based. I was like, whoa, so cool. And it's like, he's opening a Denver production company here in Denver. I'm like, and I tore that page out. I still have that page to this day. Oh, I was wow. like, I'm going to find <laughs> find this company. I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to try to get my foot, my foot into, in the door that way. It took a mm-hmm. lot of calls, um, a lot of phone calls where I finally got in with the professor that helped me to call in. And they set, set me up with an, uh, with an interview. And then uh, that got me an internship. So they were filming... Um, Ichabod, uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, a musical mm-hmm. for kids at the time. And, and Rick wrote it and, and he's, he's debuting as a director on that project. But I, I came in as a PA on the set and I was ecstatic. I was like, I can't believe I'm on a movie set because I remember watching so many movies and I'm like, how is it like to be on a set? And I'm on an <laughs> actual movie set, but I was just doing PA work. I was taking out the trash, coffee, you know, all the gritty work, right? But I was, yeah. just, I was just ecstatic to be on the set. And I remember watching from afar when they're filming scenes, I'm like, dang, that editor is so lucky. He gets to put that scene together. It's just cool to see the action come to life with the actors. So when the production wrapped, I was still an intern there for another month. So I would be assistant editing the behind the scenes editor at the time. Oh, okay. And I remember working in the corner hallway, uh, just assembling footage for the, for the editor, for the behind the scenes footage. And I remember Rick, Rick walking behind me, watching from behind, because it was a glossy monitor, so I could see his reflection. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous, and I would just work really fast. 
just stay busy. He leaves <laughs> and he comes back with two other producers. Like, Len, we, we need to talk to you. And I thought I was in trouble. I thought, okay, this is probably the end of my internship. It's like, um, you know how to use that software? And I'm like, yeah, I, I do. And Rick would ask, you know, so, so you know, you know, to, it seems like you know to use it, how to use it really well. I'm like, yeah, I, I pretty much uh, just edited my student short on this. So, okay, well, um, if Rick had a few scenes that he'd like you to put together, can you put it together? I'm like, yeah. Uh, I was just like surprised. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. All right, so let's turn that computer off, call it back to my office. And literally an hour later, I'm in his office. He, he presents me a page, pages of scenes like, hey, Lam, put this together and, um, and then get back to me. And I worked really fast, like an hour later, put the scene together, present it to him. He's like, this is what I was looking for. I'm like, okay, because, you know, <laughs> so, be, so, you know, he's working with another editor and he was struggling to find some sort of rhythm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, somehow he, he just loved my uh, storytelling instincts, I guess. And then that's, then I took the opportunity and I just embraced it and I worked my butt off on that, on that movie. So I was an intern. Somehow that led to become an editor for that movie. And, um, that really spawned my editing career. So I'm grateful for, for Rick Ramage. I mean, he, for, for a new guy coming in to give me this opportunity and he, I was, I was really nervous around him because he's this acclaimed screenwriter. Number one movie was Dick Mane and just sold a bunch of other scripts with big time directors. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I got to overshadow him throughout the years, um, screenwriting and to see how he structures story and scenes together. And by watching that and, and, screenwriting myself, learning screenwriting myself, I, I think that really benefited me as a storyteller, as an editor, because mm-hmm. I could essentially see how the pages are structured like a timeline, but it's just a, on a paper timeline oh, and then yeah. converting that to a digital timeline and see how he like, he would show me like pages on the wall and like, okay, this scene is too long. I'm cutting this out. <laughs> I kind of applied that with editing when I realized in a sequence, if a scene feels too, looks too long in overall aspect, like, that scene is probably too long. And it was, then I would trim it down and make it more cohesive. Oh, wow. And so, so Rick, Rick Ramage, he's, I'm grateful for him and everyone at the company that gave me this opportunity. And he and I, he's been my mentor and, and a wonderful friend, an amazing friend. So we, we're still working on stuff together, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Oh, that's awesome that y'all are still working on stuff together after all this time. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how was it for your, your, like, your first film pretty much out of college to be a musical. Like that seems really daunting to me when you're just talking about it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely a, I had to pick it up fast because, you know, obviously with a musical where it seems where they're singing, you, you, mm-hmm. you have to match the music, right? You have to match the lyrics, but you also have to match the acting. And so it's, there's like two train of thoughts. I had to pick the best take of the acting part of it and the best take mm-hmm. of the choreography. And a lot of times it, both don't go don't go together so you just have to kind of maneuver their maneuver the edit and make it work so that that was a lot of fun because the music the songs were awesome but it was also challenging <laughs> to edit a musical scene it wasn't just as simple as just putting the dialogue together it was just the choreography so you're pretty much doing a choreography edit their lyrical edit and the acting edit and the emotional edit you know and so that oh, was I, I i'm surprised that my first edit project was a project like that. I mean, um, but uh, it, it felt, it felt, I, I don't know. I, I, I was just in it. I was just so, so grateful for the opportunity. So I just, I just took the challenge in every which way and I didn't think twice about it. So I just kind of <laughs> learned on the go. 
Nice. How long were you at uh, Rick's production company? Yeah, so uh, uh, I was there for a good uh, year or two, and then I had I, and then through word of mouth and referrals, mm-hmm. I, I I worked on um I, I kind of worked on documentary for a good five six years at Serac Films, and um and that was a great learning process because it helped me learn to structure story without a script, obviously, and how can you make yeah. something out of nothing a lot. And so I learned to make a lot of scenes from just a lot of like footage and then you can make something out of it and make it emotional and like oh, that, that was neat so so yeah uh, rick's company was was for a couple of years and then everyone at the company kind of branched off did their own thing you know and gotcha. rick branched off did his own thing as well and 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 we stayed in touch though we stayed in touch throughout my documentary years and then um yeah and the documentary was experience was fun because a lot of those films got into film festivals mm-hmm. and i got to experience film festivals in person through that and so that was that was a pretty cool experience. Um, so yeah, I, I was there for five, six years and then I, I got worn out. I, I, I mean, doing documentary for so long and going through so many hours of footage, you, you really get worn out. Yeah. So I was like exhausted, but my heart was narrative. I want to go back to narrative, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for a while there after that, um, Ryan Ross, which who came from the production company, he opened up his own production company and he did a lot of commercial work. So I did a lot of commercials for a good, you know, next three, four years with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm grateful for him to to keep me to keep me afloat on these projects and also learning to keep learning as an editor, um, working on on these other aspects with commercials and doing working with the ad agencies has a whole nother aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. To cut a story together in 30 seconds. How do you tell that? Uh, so that was that was that was a fun experience. But uh yeah that that's been my journey since Rick's company to production to commercials and then I took that took the leap and uh, made the move out here. Everyone's been encouraging encouraging me to move out for so long, and I was scared. I mean, because it's so competitive out here. Yeah. And I had to question myself if I was ready, and I was like, you know what? I, I think I'm ready. Let me let me give this a shot. And then, yeah, I got got here, and then I pretty much jumped on Romeo and Juliet shortly after, and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, as, as somebody who edited commercials for about two and a half years, I I. You make me feel really good about talking about that because that's uh, like you said, it, it adds like a whole new thing that like I never really thought about. Like you said, trying to trying to build a narrative in, in 15, 30 seconds and trying to make it cohesive and like entertaining enough, I guess, for, for yeah. people to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how do you you like you said, you moved down. And I remember in one of my previous interviews, they talked about the importance of uh, like like lining up projects. Um, so do you have a strategy? Um, that you employ for something like that, as far as like, like you said, you've got like the courage and you've got Romeo and Juliet. Um, do you have like a, you know, rotating spindle, I guess, of projects um, that you're that you're working on at any given time? No, I, I think luckily I was able to land a, a, a gig with this production company, this uh, screen life production company, Boss Loves, mm-hmm. um, where that kept me busy. Um, got you. But for when I first moved out here, I was I was I was sending out resumes. I was reaching out to all my contacts I worked with over the years. Mm-hmm. And and I was just pretty much networking as long as as much as I can. And then then I got a call back with this company. And then I just, you know, I took the job and did these trailers. And uh yeah, and luckily since the Sundance and South by Southwest experience, I uh, um I'm grateful to be acknowledged uh at this level for, for the work mm-hmm. that I did. Um and you know it kind of led me to the next project. So I'm I'm hoping to sign with an agent soon that would keep me busy in that way. Yeah. Um, there's been interest in that. And uh, I mean, there's not much I can say 
about in my next project, but yeah, I just signed on mm-hmm. with with a project with Amazon Studios. So oh, awesome! Um, I'm excited. I'm excited for this next level. I guess I'm nervous too, but excited. <laughs> yeah, that's super cool. You mentioned you mentioned networking, and that's something that I feel like so many people today, really myself included, have such an issue with. Um, so, like, what you know, what tips uh, I guess would you have on on networking? Are you going to events? Are you just hitting people up on social? Or, you know, what's your strategy for that? Yeah, well, when I moved here, uh, I I signed up on Staff Me Up. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I signed Staff Me Up, and I forgot another site, but I would submit resumes through that. Mm-hmm. And I now would look up companies, you know, that, that I might be interested in to see if there's openings. And I would do cold call. I would just cold emails, nice. and cold me emails out, and just introduce myself. And a lot of times they actually come back to me. I'm like, okay, cool. And but you know, I, I really prepare my demo reel mm-hmm. as much as I can, and keep that up to date. And then have my CV, and my resume ready, and I just send emails and just keep applying and applying and applying. And then and I also reach out with all my contacts, old colleagues uh, that I worked in the past, and they would connect me with other producers and. Uh, and get their tips and advice too of how to get my foot in the, the next door and things like that. So it's just constant. Yeah. So as far as, you know, winding down and everything goes, uh, I want to know, can you pick a favorite child? What is what is your favorite thing that you've done so far? Or like favorite moment if you can't pick a favorite child? Wow. That's, that's <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's, I feel like I have a lot. Can I give you a couple, two, two favorite moments? Yeah, sure. I'll say my first favorite moment was, of going back to my first um, experience on the Echobot musical feature on the set, I remember because I was a, I was I, I understood what it meant to be a starving artist, right? Mm-hmm. I was a broke college student, and I would just pay, I would pay using my credit card just to pay for parking. Oh god, that's how broke I was. And then, but I was excited to be on the set because I it just felt right, and I worked my butt off on the set. And I remember on the last day as we wrapped. Um, I was, I was, it was bittersweet. I was sad. I was like, man, I hope I get another opportunity to work on, to walk, work on a set again. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I would. And so I just cleaned up everything. I just stayed, I just kept working. Even they wrapped up, I kept working. And I remember that night, every crew member walked up to me and just kind of just gave me this push, like great work, man. You, you, you're the hardest working on the set. Just want to let you know, keep it up. You will get there. Oh, awesome. And like, uh, I'm getting a little emotional talking about it because it's just <laughs> that everyone, every single department came up to me and, and just kind of kept pushing me and like, keep at it, keep working hard. You will get there. And, and the last person was Rick Ramage and I was busy just cleaning up and I didn't think he was come up to me. He's like, Lam, so I want to say you're the hardest working person that I've seen on set. Everyone worked hard, but you're the hardest. <laughs> keep at it. I hope you, I hope you still, I'll see you at the company for the internship. And obviously, you know, from what happened there since then, but, that was mm-hmm. the biggest moment for me because it, it was it just kind of gave me the belief that maybe I can do this. I'll just stick it through. Man. Um, my 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 biggest biggest moment would be would be when Carrie called me on Friday the thirteenth to tell me about how the film got into Sundance because I I always dreamed of being at Sundance and South by Southwest and never thought I'd be a part of it. So when he told me that I I was I everything slowed down for like a good hour. I just was on this high. I was on this high literally for like a week. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I'm, I'm actually, we're actually in freaking Sundance. I can't believe this. And then in the Sundance, the experience w- was, was so amazing because I, I, I mean, Adobe reached out to me to do this editor's panel. Then I had these, these 
a lot of these uh, magazines and publishers wanted to talk to me because of this the film and the format and how how I did it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was, it, it kind of encapsulated all 17 years of my experience. Like I'm finally getting acknowledged for my hard work, and 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 that was a precious moment. And and then, then the South by Southwest experience was a whole nother level. I mean. To be at most festivals, I'm like this. I'm just, I'm just ecstatic. Yeah. But when, when the production manager called me one night and was like, "Hey, Lam, can you jump on a call in ten minutes with uh, Carrie and the festival director?" I'm like, "Oh, okay, sure." Um, and I, I wasn't sure what it was. I had an inkling, like maybe it's like an audience award. Maybe we won some award as a film. Mm-hmm. And then when she told me, "Hey, we just want to congratulate you, Lam, for, for uh, winning the Adobe Best Editing Award for Romeo and Juliet," and I was. I remember in that moment, Kerry was screaming through the Zoom call. He was like, yes, oh my gosh, Adam, you, you worked your butt off. You did this. I'm so happy for you. But while he was doing that, I I was, and ironically, talking to you about this whole thing, I, I was flashing back through the first day at the internship yeah, and kind of thought, just kind of went through those moments, all the ups and downs I went through to catch up to this moment. And when he finally finished like shouting and out of uh, celebration for me, then a tear came out of my eye because I was just so emotional. And they're like, oh, do you have anything to say? I'm like, I'm just so grateful. I just said, I just, you know, Sundance and, and to be screened at Sundance and South by Southwest was, was, was an honor for me already. And, and I can't believe I, I won an award. I just never thought that would happen. Never ever thought that would happen. And, <laughs> and she's, she, she, uh, Janet Pearson, the director, festival director was saying, well, I mean, not a lot of filmers, filmmakers get a chance to do this, to go back to back. Uh, festivals and to win an award along the way so you're pretty much getting like a home run so Romeo and Juliet right now uh, I would say would be my favorite child because this is what kind of set me up and I would say um, also because of what I've learned I I really want to give a shout out to Kerry Williams he's a very talented director and storyteller and he really pushed me to become a better editor I certainly learned a lot from him and we did something really special together on this project. And I look forward to working on another one with him. Well, I honestly could not think of a, of a nicer way to end it. That was, that was perfect. That was awesome. And, and I mean, legitimately congrats. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this movie or at the beginning of the podcast, but it's like, you read the synopsis and you're like, you're like, is this going to work out? And then you watch it and you guys just had me enraptured. Like it was, it was awesome. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the film so congratulations on the award not only the award but pulling it off like what a what a great movie um and everything it was it was awesome oh thank thank you so much Corey, and and thank you so much for the for the praise on the film i mean um the screen life film uh, we were worried about it because we were worried about it at first because stigma right you read the you read the description like told on their phones Uh, i don't think it's gonna be interesting so i'm i'm glad to hear that it pleasantly surprised you and hopefully it, it does the same on, on a world, worldwide scale once it gets out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but no, this was a lot of fun. I, I, I never thought I would do a podcast as well. So this <laughs> this is a lot of fun chatting with you, Corey. And it's uh, actually a lot of fun to kind of go back memory lane and and just kind of like, I don't know, walk through those steps again. <laughs> yeah, the hour like completely flew by. Is there anywhere that you want to direct people like a Twitter or anything like that that you want people to hit you up at? Yeah, I mean, you, you could they could find me on uh, my Twitter and Instagram is Lamb T underscore Nguyen N G U Y E N. Um, so yeah, you could they could find me through that if they want. But yeah, I mean, 
best best of luck on your podcast, Corey. I think this is amazing that you're doing this. I think it helps a lot of new filmmakers to kind of get insight from everyone else and how they work and their methods. And uh, I'm definitely following and tuning in as well. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. That that means the world. And if you want to be just like Lamb, you can hit us up on, we're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get podcasts. We should be there. We're also on YouTube, the Justin Editor Podcast. Remember, guys, feel free to subscribe. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will see you all in the edit bay. Mm-hmm.